Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, everyone. Marcel here. Before today's episode, I want to tell you about a new show that we are loving at Which Please Productions, the Culture Study Podcast with Anne Helen Peterson. If you don't already know it, I'm convinced that you're about to fall in love with a new podcast. And this is coming from me, Marcel, someone who famously doesn't really listen to podcasts. Culture Study is a podcast about exploring the nooks and crannies of the culture that surrounds us. Each week, Anne and a super smart co-host will answer listeners' questions about the stuff they find interesting and perplexing, like, why do clothes suck now? And... Is Paw Patrol copaganda, or is it not that deep? And, like, what's the deal with everyone I know getting a divorce? Just like Anne's tremendously popular newsletter of the same name, Culture Study Podcast is funny, insightful, and kind of weird. And it's guaranteed to help you become the most interesting person at parties. Listen to the Culture Study Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your shows. Who knows? Maybe you'll recognize some guests in the coming months. Hey, witches. We're dropping into your feed today with a special bonus episode of Witch Please with guest Ella McLeod. Ella joined me and Marcel in June for a Patreon-only bonus episode to discuss policing of magic in the wizarding world. It's a great little chat originally released to Witch Please patrons in our $5, $10, and $13 tiers. And we thought, you know what? As we get ready to launch into season five, why not give our general audience a taste of what we get up to on our Patreon? We hope you enjoy the conversation, and if you want to learn more about becoming a Patreon supporter, head to the link in the episode notes to find out more about our four different tiers and their accompanying perks. Hello and welcome to another Witch Please Patreon bonus special guest interview. We haven't named any of this bonus material, so we just make up new names every time. I'm Hannah. I'm Marcel. (laughs) And we have a very exciting guest joining us today all the way from England. Yeah, Yeah. I know. The names (laughs) of countries. Um, Who, in classic Witch Please Patreon bonus style, just slid into our DMs with a really interesting theory. And we were like, great idea. Get on the podcast immediately. (laughs) Welcome, Ella. Thank you so much. This is literally a dream come true. I've been listening to this podcast for so long. Oh, my. Um, (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm Ella McLeod. Um, I'm a assistant podcast producer and writer from London, England. Oh, yeah. amazing. What, what kinds of podcasts do you make? So I work for a production company um, called Something Else, shout out. And we make kind of all sorts, a lot of um, entertainment stuff, some factual things. Um, 
like our, our like big hitter is David Tennant does a podcast with. So yeah, we 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 did that. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Wait, do you you mean you work with like real real celebrity I, humans? I, I do actually work with some real celebrity humans. Yeah. Oh my god, Have what you are you doing David with Tennant? us? <laughs> um, I'm like the biggest witch, please stand ever. I the the reason I I do my job now is because when I was struggling as an actor. Um, after every bad audition, um, I would I would listen to Witch Please and like feel oh better god. about my life. Oh um, my god! And then after like two years of struggling as an actor, I was like, maybe I just want to do this. And so I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did so, you tell um, David Tennant about us? Um, I've not told I've not told David Tennant about you. But I have told <laughs> I have told. Um, I've told David Dimbleby about you. Do you guys know who David Dimbleby is? No. David Dimbleby is, you know, yeah, Hannah's laughing. Hannah knows. I, um, I don't. I don't he's know like a, he's a very like serious political journalist. And I recommended, <laughs> I, he was talking about like good, good fun, like lefty podcasts. And I recommended which please. Oh my um, God. Who else have I told about you guys? That's like quite, quite funny. Um, I told um, Claudia Winkleman about you, but I don't know if that will register to any of your Canadian listeners, but <laughs> she does our equivalent of Dancing with the Stars. That's quite funny. Um, but yeah, I'm forever, I'm forever recommending you guys because everyone is a Harry Potter fan and I'm like, but thinking critically. So I'm always like, which yeah. face? This is, this is truly the greatest, the, the greatest introduction to a guest I'm so glad. I've ever experienced. This is amazing. Oh, I'm delighted. Oh my God. Okay. Well, we did not invite you on to talk to us about how great you are. I mean, like, I could. As much as, I could. As much as we obviously thoroughly enjoy that. Uh, we invited you on to have a conversation about cats and squibs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the arbitrary policing of magical boundaries. Absolutely. So let's start here with this observation that you made that the two major squib characters we see in the Harry Potter series both have really strong relationships yeah. with cats. Yeah, they do. And I, I just, I find that fascinating. And the reason... I find it fascinating. And I, I, the reason I sent the message in the first place was because I'd gone on like a Google like wormhole about <laughs> cats and magic and their history and their relationship with magic. So to, to have a look at squibs and cats, I think you first have to have a look at artificial scarcity. So I'm going to start mm. with artificial scarcity, right? So artificial scarcity, just so everyone knows, who's listening is on the same page, is this idea that there are resources that could be infinite or could be seen as renewable that are made difficult to access for Hmm. the purpose of driving up competition. Drugs, Mm -hmm. like medical drugs are a really good example of this. Wi-Fi is a really good example of this. Diamonds are a really good example of this. Diamonds are not rare. They're not rare. They're actually, like, quite easy to find. But... They, they are. They actually are. Like, just walk, walk, take a walk one day, go for a dig, find a diamond. Um, but because of an incredible marketing campaign, we're all convinced that they're this really rare jewel. So, in the wizarding world, 
magic. Oh, sorry. Can I just add an example of artificial scarcity? Yes, please. The maple syrup reserve. Is that a thing? (laughs) Yep. So Quebec (laughs) produces most of the maple syrup in the world. Really? And in hyper- and in hyperproductive years, they reserve it so that they don't overflood the market with maple syrup and drive down the value. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So there's so there's a huge there are huge tanks of maple syrup. There's a maple syrup reserve. Yeah. Um, and there was a heist. Wow. <laughs> anyway. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> I need to... Artificial scarcity. I still have to look that up. I mean, houses are a really good example of artificial mm. scarcity. I was trying to explain this to my sister. I was like, if the gov... If, if especially in the UK, the government... It was, if it was in governmental interest to solve homelessness, they, mm-hmm. they could do so. They just won't because having a flourishing, and I'm using big scare quotes here, flourishing mm. housing market uh, benefits their economy, basically. So in the wizarding world, we have this thing called magic. And Mm -hmm. how we define magic seems to me to be very much determined by the Ministry of Magic Mm -hmm. and those members of like the elite structures that prop up the hierarchical system of the wizarding society. What I mean by that is magic gets created as a kind of weird binary mm-hmm. by people who police who can and can't use magic and we have so many examples of this we right? really like we do neville saying he wasn't sure if he would get into hogwarts right mm-hmm. right right like if neville didn't get into hogwarts then presumably neville would not be a wizard according to the like categorization of the ministry presumably neville would be considered a squib just yeah. a, a not magic person But that doesn't make Mm -hmm. any sense because Neville's mere existence and people like Neville, for example, Hagrid's mere existence indicates that magic exists on a spectrum from like Mm. the the kind of like hyper powerful. And we're kind of led to believe that like your magical ability is natural, again, Mm. scare quotes, Mm -hmm. because of things like Hagrid saying to Harry, your parents were really powerful wizards, so you will be a powerful mm-hmm. wizard. Mm-hmm. Because of things like Dumbledore being really powerful, but Aberforth just not getting that gene, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that so so magic. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have muggles. And then before muggles, we have squibs who kind of exist in this like ma- magic non-space almost. Why I find that idea really compelling is that... It seems that the way that this is policed is by the ministry dictating who can and can't carry a wand. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Mm-hmm. We know yes. that wandless magic is possible. 
because of all the like you know nine year olds running around um, exploding <laughs> snails and shit like that in the fourth and book, accidentally you know? releasing snakes like accidentally releasing <laughs> they're snakes they're doing it like, all the time Harry blows up Aunt Marge he's not carrying his wand but he just like does it because he's mad so mm-hmm. we know wandless magic exists but we're led to believe that the only way that magic can be harnessed controlled is by a person owning a wand Mm -hmm. well and we and we find out later that uh goblins want access to wands yeah exactly and it's not so much that goblins couldn't operate wands it's just that wizards jealously guard the wand the wand lore and jealously guard how you make them and how to operate them mm-hmm. so right, right and what's really interesting there is that wands have to be purchased so mm. you are directly affected by your financial status or your access mm-hmm. to gold um and and then that affects your access to the magical community what's really interesting about that especially in the example of like neville Mm-hmm. is that Neville goes his whole life thinking that he might not get into Hogwarts, then gets to Hogwarts and is basically told that he's like a shitty wizard. Even mm-hmm. though we know that from books one to six, he has his dad's wand. Like, it's not even his... Mm-hmm. It's not a wand that he... that shows him that he had an affinity with. What? I forgot about this. But this is the thing. And this is why, like, Ron, in books one and two, is, like, kind of a substandard wizard because he, he has Percy's yeah. old wand. So oh, shit. yeah, so your your whole access to this thing that is supposed to be like your birthright mm-hmm. is 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 controlled and bartered with by forces completely out of your like own control as an individual. I mean, even Dumbledore, who is positioned as the greatest wizard of his age, is we find out way later on, just has the most powerful, the most powerful wand. wand. Yeah, exactly. And Hagrid Hagrid's wand is snapped at the end of his third year and Hagrid doesn't have the financial means to just go and get himself a new one whether he was allowed to or not right Mm -hmm. exactly and I think for me as well when we talk about because I I listened to your um episode on class which I loved because as a British person like (laughs) deep Deeply entrenched class structures are things that you kind of get raised being beaten over the head with a little bit. Mm. Um, And I always found, like, class in Harry Potter really fascinating because the things that kind of materially indicate your class in the muggle world don't really seem to exist in the same way in the wizarding world. Like, and and I always kind of wondered, like, okay, so the Weasleys don't have much money, so they have shabby robes, but isn't there, like, a spiffing up your robes bell like hell yeah. yeah like i don't know I, I was always like or like okay they live in this ramshackle house but like could they not just like ma- magic up an extension like i just don't i'm just confused about how that works however was our our last bonus interview was with dr ellie armstrong and and we just started to tease out this idea of magical capital mm-hmm. as like a version of cultural capital sorry you were saying however no it, however so In my way of, like, understanding, like, magical capital, I think the thing that really enforces a kind of class structure is your access to magic and how much of it you're able to access, which is directly based on, like, how much gold you have, because, Mm -hmm. like, you can't... It's quite apparent that you can't just, like, magic up more gold. And gold is is what you buy a wand with. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But that that little thing there seems quite separate to all of the other other things going on with class in the story, because like the the kind of pure blood status of wizards as a way of kind of denoting class is like very like inherently directly related to this like old English notion of like blue bloodedness and like mm. ancestral mm-hmm. wealth and things like that. But I think you could see a, a situation where someone who doesn't necessarily come from money but has magic is able to live quite comfortably. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have gold, you can't have a wand. So, and and, and that's what I find really interesting. Because otherwise there's no reason to have money in a exactly. magical world. Literally <laughs> none. Literally no reason at all. Hold like, on I- now, you two pinkos. Like, let's just <laughs> take it easy here. <laughs> If you don't have money, how do you circulate goods and control <laughs> the population through artificial means of segregation and hierarchy? Like, exactly. With wand access. With wand access. <laughs> like, literally with, with access to who can and can't wield this this magical tool. So, yeah, I, uh. I mean, I find that, like, wild. <laughs> yeah. So now we have, like, two individuals, Miss... Argus Filch and Arabella Fig, who have been told that they're not magic enough to go to Hogwarts and therefore are not magic enough to possess a wand because you're not allowed Mm. to possess a wand unless you've gone to Hogwarts Mm. or a Hogwarts equivalent. If you do, like, that's illegal. Which in itself, when you're just like, so you have magic, Mm -hmm. but you can't legally use it Mm -hmm. unless you possess a wand. And the penalty for that is incarceration. (laughs) (laughs) These books are bonkers. (laughs) These books are bonkers. Bonkers. And a thing that I found really interesting in the last, like, year, because I'm, as I mentioned, I'm a writer and I've, well, am writing but have Mm. mostly written a book, uh, Mm. which is uh, coming out next year. (gasps) What? Plug your book. Oh, okay. Um, We'll do it again. Yeah, so my book is called um, Rapunzel, uh, and it's a young adult fantasy. Uh, oh, my God. And I'm really excited about it. Um, and it's been published by Scholastic. And, <gasps> yeah, it's, like, really cool. But but a thing that's been really interesting to me, like, writing fantasy, is how do I create scarcity so that we have, like, tension in the story so that like we don't get this like deus ex machina thing of everything just being sold by magic Mm -hmm. but also without it being scarcity that basically just relies on capitalism and my way of doing that has just been by having like good magic and bad magic Mm -hmm. right which which the poor books do do like yeah so it's just really bizarre to me that on top of the like good magic, bad magic, like, you know, in the, in the sixth book when the, our prime minister says to the minister for magic, you know, why is this happening? Like, can't you stop it? You guys have mm. magic. And Cornelius Fudge replies, well, the problem is, minister, <laughs> the other side have magic too. And I think that's, that's enough. That's enough, right? Like, that's enough tension without like yeah. relegating mm-hmm. people to poverty because they weren't like far enough along your spectrum to qualify for one donorship. Like... It is indeed. Now we're at this place where we have these two characters who've basically been, like, ostracised from society because they don't... In my head, magic is, like, a, a sliding scale of, like, like black to white. And they're just, like... They don't sit in the grey enough, basically. Like, you know. So 
we have these two individuals who are considered to be not magic enough, and yet they have these immensely powerful magical relationships with cats. So, like, you can't tell me that Mrs Fig, who, like, <laughs> talks to her cats, can communicate yeah. with her cats, can send them to run errands for her, is not a bit magic. Like, yeah, you, that's just... What? Like, no. Like, obviously not. Like, you can't tell me that Filch, who exists in this immensely magical space, which, like, assumingly, he has to be a bit magic to even be able to see because we're told that muggles and people without magic can't see Hogwarts, Mm -hmm. can't see it on a map, can't access it, can't get inside. So he's obviously, like, a little bit magic. And has, like, a psychic connection with his cat. (laughs) Like... They are literally, like, obsessed with each yeah. other. Like, if, if, if Mrs. Norris sees some wrongdoing, Filch appears. Yeah. And you're telling me that he has no magic in him whatsoever? Mm-hmm. No. Come on. Get out of town. Get out of town. And the reason I find this so, like, interesting as a, like, cat mum and cat lover... I love those paws. I'm, I'm gesturing to where my cat is, like, really elegantly... Oh, my elegantly... goodness. There's, like, a tail and a paw <laughs> just, like, sticking out of the hammock, just sort of waving. Just lounging. <laughs> right? But the reason I find that really interesting is because of the of the kind of like history of domestication of cats. The the adage is that we didn't domesticate cats, cats domesticated us. And I really believe that. Animal behaviorists have a really hard time studying cats because it's hard to study an animal that has no inherent desire to please you <laughs> because it's not you can't you can't test its intelligence based on the premise that it will do something if it understands it. Um, like you would with dogs. Absolutely. But the recent studies into cat behavior show that they learned how to vocalize in the same register (laughs) as human babies um, because they figured out that we like that and that if they make themselves sound like babies, we'll give them stuff. 100%. And when my cat will meow at me, I'll be like, she sounds sad. She's not sad. She just wants food or attention. But she's she's figured out exactly what tonal quality to use to tug on my heartstrings. And yeah, I mean, uh, that, exa- that example, I think, perfectly sets up the dichotomy between dogs and cats. And I'm not one of these people that's out here like, I'm a dog person, I'm a cat person, because I, I think it's valid to to love and respect both for different for different reasons. But... The domestication of dogs has had so much more human involvement in it over a period of tens of thousands of years as humans have bred a variety of breeds of dogs to either fulfil certain domestic or or labour roles, to basically be like free free labour, free hunting, helpers, free ratters, that kind of thing. Whereas cats have been so much harder to domesticate because... The only reason they started hanging around humans in the first place, and this is kind of dated back to about 9,000 years ago, some places say Egypt, some say China, some say Cyprus, but it was basically they were attracted to settlements of humans because there were rats. And cats were like, cool, free food. But they, but, but yeah, but it wasn't like they were attracted to human companionship specifically in the same way that dogs apparently were. They just went where the food went. And as a result of that... Cats have maintained so many of their natural hunting instincts because they continue to go out and mate with wild cats. And I know this firsthand because I have a Bengal and it is it is like living with a small leopard. Um, <laughs> so it's very apparent to me that those hunting instincts are still there when she's like pouncing on my feet at three in the morning. Um, 
But what's what I find so interesting about that is that now we have now now we have a, a sort of a contrast in Harry Potter of like dogs and cats, where all the dogs we see are very much defined by their loyalty to their people. And we don't mm-hmm. see that many dogs. We we, yeah. we see Sirius, who is obviously an Animagus or Animagus. And we see Ripper, Aunt Marge's dog, mm-hmm. who basically seems to be like mm-hmm. the violent arm of Aunt Marge's hatred of Harry. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, if, if Aunt Marge is the state, Ripper's the cop. You get, you know, like, he's just out there, like, chasing him up trees. Whereas... And, 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 and Fang. And Fang. Oh, and Fang, who is... is is basically an extension of of Hagrid's desires, yeah. right? Is like so loyal to Hagrid, what just wants to be around Hagrid all the time. And then we have these cats, and it's not that they're disloyal. Obviously, um, Mrs. Norris is very loyal to Filch, but but she so clearly has her own autonomy, and she's so clearly like an independent thinker. And I think we see that in even the naming conventions of the pets mm-hmm. of, of the cats in this in this in the in this series, because like. Mrs. Norris, and then, like, all of Mrs. Fig's cats are called, like, Mr. Prentice, Mr. Tibbles. There's kind of, like, a respect in those relationships. Yeah. Of, like, you're, an, you're a grown-up, and I will call you Mr. Prentice <laughs> and Mrs. Norris. I wouldn't presume to use your first name. How familiar. Absolutely, because, because that would be rude. <laughs> and, I mean, even, even Crookshanks, go, like, all of book three is about Crookshanks, like, embarking on this adventure yeah. without Hermione having any, any knowledge, any knowledge of it whatsoever. <laughs> any knowledge at all. Crookshanks at the and obviously towards the end of book three, Crookshanks like actively defends Sirius from the trio because Crookshanks has an understanding that Sirius is the good guy, even when the trio don't. Crookshanks has solved the mystery before the rest of Like us. way before Crookshanks <laughs> solved the mystery in like chapter five. Like just Crookshanks knew. So and and I personally think that when you look at this history of domestication, when you look at the way that dogs were specifically bred to please or satisfy or fulfil a human need, whether that was a German shepherd being used as a guard dog or a French bulldog being bred to be like brachycephalic with health issues because we think it's cute, just saying, or sausage, or sausage... <laughs> This or is an audio dog. medium, so people miss the fact that Ella just shrugged for 15 solid seconds. Like, I don't know what to say, guys. Like, <laughs> your, like your sausage dogs will have, like, spine issues and hip dysplasia, but it's cool because it looks like a little sausage. Like, I'm just, yeah. So, like, we, we bred those things for a purpose and they fulfill a purpose. The only thing we've ever really been able to do with cats is breed them to have specific colours. But in terms of their, like, hunting patterns and their sleeping patterns and their feeding patterns, you can try. You you can try. <laughs> Cat's gonna cat. Cat is gonna cat. And I have tried. I really have tried to train my cat. But it doesn't work. She does what she wants to do. The, this autonomy, right? It's like... You know how you know how the book keeps saying the wand chooses the wizard. Mm-hmm. Cats choose wizards. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. saying that the wand chooses the wizard when you have to buy it is <laughs> really different from being like and cats honestly, choose you. A thing I've often thought is like, are there just wands sitting in Ollivander's belonging to like poor kids who could never afford them that never choose anybody? Yeah. You just 
broke my heart. Just a, a wizardless wand who was like, oh, it's a shame that, yeah. you know, little, little Jimmy comes from a poor family. Like, wild. Absolutely wild. Completely wild. And I, I think, and I have often thought, that cats just have, like, a spectacular ability to reject all kind of human social structures. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is why I deem them the most anti-capitalist animal. Um, yeah. because like even right now like our cats are sleeping it's the middle of the goddamn day but don't they know there's work to be done don't they know there's work to be done like she doesn't care that it, we're on British summertime hours right now because she will sleep when she wants to sleep she's now for the revolution yeah <laughs> just living here like rent free because she's a cat you know mm-hmm. um and I think that's why there is this history of, of cats being seen as threatening or unnatural or frightening. But also as sacred and powerful, right? Yeah, but, yeah. but, but, but to societies that saw subversion as sacred and powerful as opposed to yeah. terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, ancient Egyptians worshipped cats because of their independence and because of their ability to just come in, eat the rats and leave. They were like, <laughs> wow, you must be sent from the gods because you're curious of our vermin, but we don't need to do anything for you. Like, we don't need to keep you alive. <laughs> You just do the it's the same thing with the scarab beetle. They just came in, cleared the shit and left. That's you would think that's godly, wouldn't you? Whereas Whereas Pope Gregory the Fourth in twelve thirty-three issued a decree saying that all cats carried a part of Satan. I know and I can see why to a medieval Christian, a cat who slinks around at night and doesn't do as it's told would be quite frightening. <laughs> you know? Yep. Like you're doing all the things that scare me right now. They are they are they are pure chaos. Yeah. Pure right. chaos. All right, Ella, we are we are we are running out of time. I've enjoyed every aspect of this reading. Me too. So much. <laughs> Will you uh plug your book one more time and maybe yes. tell us a little bit about what it's about? I would love to. Um, so it's called Rapunzella. And um, as I said, it's a, it's a young adult fantasy. And it is, oh, I'm going to get cancelled by like all, all of all, so many people's parents. Um, so it starts with a strike where um, two um, magical gardeners um, realise that the king they're working for isn't paying them fairly. Uh, and they realise that they actually own the means of production oh my and God. so <laughs> cause chaos and dissent in the kingdom um and the kind of the kind of subversion and like twisted fairy tale that's like me kind of explaining all the reasons why like all of the Grimm brothers fairy tales and specifically Rapunzel um pissed me off for so many years um is about uh the king trying to seek his vengeance on this, like, coven of of witches. And then alongside that is a uh, modern kind of contemporary romance about um, a teenage girl coming of age in a city that she's slowly struggling to recognise as it gets changed by gentrification (laughs) and um, how her connection to this, like, magical realm... Uh, slowly radicalizes her. Oh my God. (laughs) 
When does this incredible book come out and who publishes it again? Um, so it's being published by Scholastic and it comes out uh, in the April of next year. Oh my goodness. I can't wait. Oh. If we don't have you back on before then, we are definitely going to have you back on when that book comes out. Oh, I, I would love to come on and chat more. Anytime, anytime. What a delight. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. If people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Oh, yes. Um, so on Twitter and on Instagram, I'm at McLeod Mouth. Um, McLeod is M-C-L-E-O-D Mouth. Amazing. Thank you. You've been listening to a special bonus episode of Which Please. Bonus episodes are released once a month to our $5, $10, and $13 Patreon tiers. They always feature a special guest who contributes some unique insights into the series, the world of critical theory, fandom, or other topics we just can't get into our regular season. And they are always fun. If you'd like to hear our full backlog of Patreon bonus content, you can become a patron today! And if you join at the $10 or $13 tier, you'll be just in time to join us to watch Hocus Pocus on October 30th. Just in time for the Halloween season. This is the end. No. I feel it. Okay. We are doomed. Finally, as you know from our extensive end credits, Witch Please is a small but mighty team supported by you, our listeners. We have over 600 dedicated patrons who pledge monthly to make sure our producer gets paid and our show gets made. If you want to make the leap and become a patron of Witch Please, you can join today for anywhere between $2 and $13 a month. And in doing so, you will be making Coach very happy. Of course, if becoming a paid subscriber is just not in the budget right now, we understand. It's just as helpful to tell your friends and family about the show, to leave us a review, and to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at OhWitchPlease. And with that, later witches! Witches!